Hi everybody, I'm Peter Travers and welcome to Popcorn, where we tell you, we really do tell you what's happening at the movies. And there's a movie now called Gold, uh, starring my guest Matthew McConaughey in a role. Well, this guy does change himself to play parts, but he's really changed himself this time to do it. But look, you look like yourself, Matthew. There look was just you. more of me. There was gold. more of you. Was that a prosthetic device or did you just put on the weight? No, that was See, cheeseburgers and beer. You just don't play around, do you? You do it. It's one of the fun things about what we get to do. Mm-hmm. You know this. I mean, when you, when you get a character that you're always looking for a mental, spiritual, and physical commitment, and they don't all allow you know, commitments like I got to have with Kenny Wells. But uh, um, there's a lot to be committed to on all three of those phases with him, and part of it was physical. What about the hair? Well, the guys, the Kenny Wells is that I knew, and the real guy, David Walsh, had a bit of that hair. And the, one, the guys that I knew in the 80s who were the Kenny Wellses of the world, they didn't look in the proverbial mirror. Mm-hmm. They were hard living. Uh, most of them were going to be dead by 60, a heart attack mm-hmm. or some kind of consumption. They're consumers of life. Um, even the teeth, these guys I knew that had decent money, I saw them chip their teeth and without even interrupting their own conversation, going over to the workshop and pulling out some super glue and gluing it back in and continuing the conversation. And it was, there was nothing to it. Um, these are guys that, you know, when they went to the dentist, they went to the one at the local strip mall. <laughs> um, and so that's what Kenny Wells turned out to. Well, tell us. Tell us a little about it and who Kenny Wells is. Because this is a, a based on something that actually happened. Yes. But the names were changed to protect God knows who. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kenny Wells is a, uh, he's a dreamer. I mean, look, he, he's a prospector by trade. Prospectors where you go out looking for minerals, copper, nickel, silver, gold. Um, he's, been, he's inherited this very successful company his grandfather and his father, and you meet him eight years later, and he's at the bottom of the barrel. He's run the company into the ground by his own right and by how the economy turned, let's say both. Um, he's living with his girlfriend. They're having trouble paying that rent. He, uh, he literally has a dream, almost in a blackout, that he knows a guy in Indonesia that knows where the gold is, who he crossed eight years prior. Hawks his girlfriend's watch, takes a one-way ticket to Indonesia and makes this dream happen. Mm-hmm. Or does he? Which takes us well, to I don't want to give it Or away. takes us to the third part of the, 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 the story. Um, you know, was the gold found or, or, or was it not? Was there really gold there or was it not? But he's, uh, uh, he's a guy, he's an American archetype, like millions of people who didn't get a ticket to the front row of the American dream. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to hustle, entrepreneur, create their way, sneak in the back door, down the chimney or side door into the American dream. And this is a story of a guy who actually got it that way. But this is something we all love as Americans, isn't it? It's just, you so. call it the American dream, but basically we all love the story of the underdog yep. who manages to hit the jackpot. We're jackpot mentality yeah. that's here. And not many of us do hit the jackpot. Nope. No, and then by their own rules. We like to see somebody stick it to the man on the way. We like to see somebody prove everybody else wrong. We like to see somebody who makes the the unseen seen, the unimaginable become real, uh, and get lucky along the way. And to use football terms, Kenny's a guy who throws five Hail Marys and catches his own pass. I mean, he's got nine lives getting through this. Um, Delusionally optimistic? Sure. 
a dreamer who actually takes his dreams literally and chases them down when others would have quit and said, that's tomfoolery, I'm not going to do it, or, mm-hmm. I'm, or I'm tired? Yes, he's that guy too. But he's also a guy who has to be dependent on other people. In yeah. one case, the geologist right. that Edgar Ramirez is playing in this movie. He's got to believe him in some way and trust him. But where that movie goes like this is when he does hit the jackpot. Yes. And then what happens to him? Well, yeah. And, you know, it's one thing to get your riches. It's another thing to hang on to them. Mm-hmm. You know, the jungle uh, that he runs into, the concrete jungle of New York Wall Street at the top floors has got larger fangs than the jungle he was in in Indonesia. Um, people come after his money. You know, one of the, one of the great... Uh, a lot of times when I'm reading through a script, there'll be scenes and I'll have a realization. I'll go, oh, the character lives right there. And one of them is, as you know, Kenny Wells has no trouble turning down $300 million to buy out his company mm-hmm. based on, you took my name off of it? But you know what he has trouble doing? You know what makes him sweat in his boots? Winning prospector of the year and having to say a speech in front of his peers. <laughs> I went, that is a pure soul right there. And one of the things I loved about this guy. Well, you, you, in your own career, hit a jackpot, right? Because mm-hmm. when you're growing up in Texas, what do you think? You were going to be a lawyer, I think you told me once, yeah. right? That was your dream yeah. to do, and that didn't happen. No, thankfully. And when you made your first movie, they didn't say right away, oh, uh, this guy is a star. You had to do smaller parts until it happened. Sure. So what, what went on in your head when you were in the Kenny Wells position? Because you did hit the jackpot. Yeah, well, look, I, I, and I've told you this story before, but I, fe- I fell into the acting role. I was in the right bar at the right time. Mm-hmm. Met a guy, Don Phillips. Three lines turned into three weeks' work. Mind you, one of those lines was what I like to call a launch pad line. I think we've talked about this before. When you have a character like Wooderson in Days Confused that says, no, that's what I love about those high school girls. I get older, but they stay the same age. Immediately you go, there's an encyclopedia on that guy <laughs> from that line alone. So when three lines turned into three weeks work and all of a sudden I'm getting paid $325 a day um, and people are patting me on the back going, hey man, great job today. You're good at this. And I'm wondering if the, how this is even legal. It's so much fun plus the pay. Um, I don't think at that time I even was dreaming of being an actor. I don't even think I let myself dream of being an actor at that point. Um, but I sure was loving what I was doing. So I go back to school. I finish. I move out to Hollywood. I do a couple of shows. And I did get kind of hit the jackpot early, if you're going to say with success, mm-hmm. and film A Time to Kill. Right. That happened very early in my career. Um, John Grisham book, bestseller. Schumacher. Yeah. Yeah. But just to go back to Days and Confused, not only is that that particular line about they stay the same, I get older, yeah. but... All right, all right, all right is in that movie. First three words I ever said on film. Yeah. Um, and then, what about Just Keep Living? Well, that came to me during that filming of that. In five days into shooting that, my father passes away. And Just Keep Living came to me as an understanding with how to keep him spiritually alive, even though he physically was no longer here. Mm-hmm. And the night it came to me, I said it out loud. It came out of Waterson's mouth on the football field in the scene. Um, yeah, and that's talk about where the character lives. Yeah. You were living in that guy in a lot of ways. Yes. Yeah. JKL, that's, that's your foundation. Yes, it is. Branded almost everything I could find with it. Dog <laughs> bowls, dog collars. There it is. T-shirts and 
walls. JKL. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And you keep doing it. But you know what I never asked you mm. in all the times that we've talked? I've never asked you what Texas did to create who you are. Yeah. Because that's a big influence on you. I suppose it is. And I get asked that question and I've never, I don't think I've ever had the, the perfect answer for it, you know. I'll take an imperfect one. Steinbeck says it's a state of mind. You, I have said things like, hey, you know, in Texas, there's a certain honor of being a Texan that it's a measure for doing the best you can. You know, you have your name, McConaughey, you're, because you're a Travers, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you have your nation, uh, you're American. You have, if you're a believer, because yeah. of God. Uh, in Texas, you have a fourth measure, and it's because you're a Texan. But uh, there's a real independence in, in, in Texas. It, it's, when we say it's a country unto its own, it is a little different from the other places in the South. Um, we love to say, oh, we can still secede. We're not going to secede, but we love to remind people that. We love to say, oh, our capital's a few inches taller than the nation's capital. Things like this that are just a little, hey, we, we're handling ourselves over here and we can handle ourselves. Um, but you know, also, the Texas I grew up in was not insular at all. And there's a certain thing that goes about Texans, which is go out, mm-hmm. use your passport, travel around the world, go see other places, go as a Texan. You know, go venture out there, the rugged individual, you know, go into new frontiers. So it wasn't insular in that way, like a lot of places in the South maybe and are. Um, so that's some of the influence. You still have a place there, though, right? This is oh, absolutely. Yeah. Austin, Texas. So you just didn't say, OK, that was past. It's your present as well. Well, I like to say I live in, in Austin, Texas, because I can live where I want to. <laughs> <laughs> so you chose it. Chose it, yes. You know, and look, my mother's there. The rest of my family's there. Part of the reason for going back there was having kids. <laughs> Instead of seeing mom twice a year, got grandkids. Mom was 77 when we moved there. She's 85 now. I realized that was fourth quarter stuff. Let's get down closer to mom. So now we see her every weekend uh, rather than twice a year. And that's important to the kids, important for Camilla and I and my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, see the rest of my family, my brothers much more. And I just feel at home there. I mean, it, it, I, 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 a mile feels like a mile. 60 minutes feels like an hour. And a day feels like 24 hours mm-hmm. when I'm there. And a relationship with time is very important to me. Your mom was a teacher. Yes. Did she give you advice on your career? Did she say? Not in, no, not anymore. Did she um, in the beginning? Well, it wasn't necessarily advice. It was that every single role she wanted to be in the movie. Did I ever tell you that her, her great idea of, of what movie her and I should be in? That no. she pitched. So she'd come to, she'd come to visit me on sets. Mm-hmm. And she'd always say, okay, where's the guy in charge? All right? And so, okay, that's the producer or the financer. There's the money. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. And boy, she'd see her. She'd start hedging, hedging him. And all of a sudden, she would always corner him. And she goes, okay, listen to this. Great idea. Remake of The Graduate. All right? I'm Ann Bancroft. Matthew's the dust off in part. Now, of course, part of people go, you're his mother. And, she, and all of a sudden, she's like, oh, I've, I've seen it before. It's not that big of a deal. It'll still work. And she's still pitching that. She's still, still pitching, pitching that. It. No one's made it yet. I uh, want to see that. Whatever I've got left in my wallet, I want to invest in seeing that. Oh, <laughs> well, she's game. It says a lot about who you are. You know, because you lost yeah. your dad earlier, right? This yeah. was 
That's my dad, 92. Yeah, so this is, she's this major influence on your life. Well, she, and, she always, and she always was. I mean, my dad was much busier when I was growing up. He spent more time with the, my older two brothers. And business got really good, and he got busy, and I was more raised by my mother. And mom and I, mom was my kindergarten teacher. She was my substitute teacher in seventh grade for a year, and then substitute in other classes I had for a while. But you're teaching now, too, I hear. Yeah, I have a class, which I think you really dig at the University of Texas. Um, it's the class that I wish I would have been offered when I was in film school. And what are you doing? Script to screen. Really? So, so everybody out there could sign up and go well, to... Well, the class, we only take 30, but oh. we're looking to branch this class out, this curriculum, and plug it in in other universities as well. And after about 10 years of work in the business, I, it, was obvious, it became obvious how different the initial script is to the final product on screen. So... The goal is to put some science behind the magic of mm-hmm. how does it get from here to there. One, to take pressure off these young filmmakers to think like I did. Oh, I've got to know it all. It's got to be my idea has to be known. To you see the emanations of a script. You see, and so what we do is we we take them chronologically through a film. We, for instance, Free State of Jones. We give them the book first. Mm-hmm. Read the book. Now everybody, one at a time, get up and declare in five minutes, your pitch of what that movie you'd make. And they haven't seen the film, okay? They declare. Then we hand them the first script. Okay, everyone talk about what was left out. What do you think? How did the filmmakers do? How did the writer do? With how, what he turned the book into? They get up and they declare. We tell them there's no wrong or right answer. Just declare. We give them the next script. And the next. And the next. And the next. We break down two scenes in particular. Uh, show them why we edited that scene. And then at the end of the semester, we show them the film. And they've gone through all the changes. The subplot that became a main storyline. The subplot that got cut completely. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the themes running through it that you thought were going to be there from the beginning? You no, know, because they have their the own end. particular favorite moments that would happen. I'm sure so. Yeah. But the, the point of the class is that there's no wrong or right. And we're not telling you a secret. We're just showing you some science behind the magic of how a movie gets made. And for me... That was a lot of my best acting class. I didn't take acting classes, but because I was in film school, at the time I went into Days Confused, I remember very clearly the first time being in my first scene and all these lights being on me and 60 people staring at me. Because I knew what every one of them did Mm -hmm. through film production, I wasn't nervous. I didn't feel like 60 people were looking at me saying, okay, now go. Um, And so that, that helped a lot with me to get started acting. But you're following, you're following gold with Dark Tower, this yes. Stephen King thing, yes. you know? There's nothing. They don't have anything to do with each other. No. You, it's a complete switch again. Well, I was looking, you know, if Dark Tower works out, that could be a franchise. Mm-hmm. And I've never been a part of a, a franchise. Um, what I liked about Dark Tower was, one of the things was, one, the script was very good, and I'm a fan of Nikolai Arcel. Um, uh, there's a lot of great Danish directors. Mm. Um, but it was the first in the series. I wanted to be, I, I'd, I'd read some Guardians of the Galaxies. I've read some other ones where they were talking to me about maybe coming on. And I was like, I like the movies. The role's good, but I felt like I was kind of an amendment to their <laughs> success. <laughs> and I was like, what I liked about Dark Towers, I was like, oh, I can be the author of the original creation of Walter in this series. And if we get to do more than one, I can continue it. But I can be there on the, uh, uh, from the first take. Um, and that intrigued me more. Plus, the take, Nikolai's uh, take on it uh, and, and the realism that he, that he 
wanted to go with it turned me on. So I'm not necessarily. You and Idris Elba. That yeah. seems like an interesting combination yes. of things that are happening. I think so, too. That was another, another reason that I was excited to yeah. do it. Well, you, you always do, and I mean this as the highest compliment I could pay, what people would say, why is he doing that for? Why? You're now like an animated star. Sing is out there now, uh -huh. and you're a koala bear. Yes. A singing koala bear. Mm -hmm. Not very much. A lot of people want a little more, but... Uh, 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 uh. Call me, baby. Yeah. Sing a little Carly <laughs> Jepsen. <laughs> you yes. For a little bit. It's, I know, but still, it's there. Yeah. And then you're in Kubo and the Two Strings. Yep. Warrior Beetle. Yep. <laughs> Is it the kids saying that? You should do this, Dad? No, but it, it, it had to do with the kids. I mean, you get kids, they watch more animated films. You watch them with them. You hear what they laugh at. They all have different senses of humor, as I was telling you earlier. My mm -hmm. son's favorite character in Sing is the snail that says, fly like the wind. He's in the movie for like two seconds, and that's my son's favorite character. Um, but you watch them watch animated films. But you're and Barry you, Moon. You're the lead. You're the Buster guy Moon. started. You are Buster. Oh, I've got, a, I've got a few more points in the household now. I hope Since so. doing that. Yeah. I've got a little more leverage. Yeah. Um, so I did it for some selfish reasons. Mm -hmm. um, that's part of the reason. I mean, I tried to get animated voice work for, for years, and no one was hiring. And, you know, having kids, I went out, and I remember talking to my agent. I said, can you, we actively seek out some, some roles? I don't know if, we, if us looking for them helped, but I think Kubo came because the people at Leica heard an interview I did with Terry Gross on NPR. Mm -hmm. And NPR is the best microphones in the world. They make everyone sound great. Mm -hmm. but, that helped get me that job. And then Chris Melodondri uh, uh, and Garth Jennings came to me for Sing. I'm not sure where that came from, but they came to me for, for, for that. And I hope to do more of those. They're fun. And also look at my track record of, of recent. I don't have many films that, that my kids can see. True. They can't go to gold, really. Levi's let's just not, eight now. You know, let's not take them to Killer Joe yet. Let's not let them watch True Detective right yet. No, they Even should Dallas be. Buyers Club, we might have a long conversation for weeks, months, if not years, if they saw it now. Yeah, there's not many. What do they say to you about it? Because their friends have to know who you are. What do they actually say? Yeah. Well, they're, 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 they're conscious of what goes on now. They get it. And, and, I, and I remember this moment when things clicked. The first time my son, who was three or four, four at the time, uh, we were in the kitchen in our home out west, and a scene in We Are Marshall comes up. And he goes, Popeye, which is what he calls me. And he's staring at the TV. And the edit was to a burning cauldron of fire. And immediately, mm -hmm. crying in tears. My dad, fire, not good. And he didn't get it. And he was much less interested in that I was there and also there. Mm -hmm. But he saw that was me for real and it cut to fire. So I started taking him to set. And it was on the set of Lincoln Lawyer where... I'd bring him in, let him watch me do a scene, and then take him to the monitor and watch it play back. And then he'd run to the other room and see that that's where it was. But hey, that's exactly what I just saw. And once he did that, he lit up and he goes, I get it, Popeye, it's a magic trick. You're capturing time. And I go, that's exactly what we're doing. That's it. So, so for him now, it's He can it's take my job trick. now. He's capturing time. He good, it. pretty good. You know, so... Now they know. Kids say they see me. He, uh, uh, he sees me. He's asked me, why do people know your name that don't know you? Or why do people... And we've talked to him about that. And that'll be an ongoing conversation. And now, because it's over, our time together again means their song. <coughs> oh, please. Song. Their song. You, uh, did, you gave us a little of Carly Jepsen, but you have to... That doesn't it. count, though, That doesn't right? count at all. No. 
What's this? You heard this band called Foles? No. It's a British rock band. Wow. Have you heard of them? F-O-A-L-S. I thought you were a Mellencamp guy. I am a Mellencamp <laughs> guy, but I did Pink Houses last time. <laughs> you did. And anyway, I, they got this great rock tune on the album called What Went Down. It's called um, um, uh, Snake Oil. You sell snake oil to the butcher. Butcher's bills always be paid. Bum, bum, dum, bum, dum. Anyway, it's got a great bass line and a really thumping uh, rock tune with a lot of elbow grease. So I would say check them out. That's it. And that's about all the words of that I can remember right now. <sighs> yeah, yeah, and then we'll say goodbye and you'll sing the whole damn thing while you're going out. What are you going to sing? I know you, McConaughey. What are you going to sing? If I knew that song, I would sing it with you. But what's, I didn't. What song, what's, what song? I didn't have it. You want to sing? It has to be you. It has I'll do it, it with you if I knew it. Be it has you. to be you. <laughs> I knew it. It has to be you. It has to be you. you. Yeah, okay. They don't want to hear any more of that. There we go. Matthew. Two songs for one. Two songs. That's it. Peter, it's always amazing. Nice it always is. All right. Okay, that wraps up another edition of the Popcorn with Peter Travers podcast. If you liked it, be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can also find Popcorn on Twitter and Facebook at Popcorn ABC News. I also want to thank the people who helped produce this podcast. Angela Williams, Brian Fudge, Josh Cohen, David Fazekas, David Miller, Michael Rothman, Alexa Valiente, and the head of ABC News Digital, Dan Silver. I'll talk to you next Friday.